0: An obvious symptom of our self-centered society is dissatisfaction with those around us and with those in positions of authority over us. Far too many people are looking for someone else. Spouses grow dissatisfied with a mate and start looking for someone else. Parents think the key to a good education for their child is a different teacher or a different school. Stockholders decide that the bottom line will improve with a new CEO or by outsourcing to another pool of employees. Sports teams are notorious for firing the coach after a losing season. In the political arena, Once we get someone in office, we can't wait to get them out. And even churches aren't immune to thinking they could accomplish more if they just had a better preacher. Now, I'm not suggesting that change is never warranted. But something is desperately wrong when we resolve our differences by replacing someone hoping the next person will be more to our liking. The spirit of dissatisfaction is very evident in our world today, but it's really not a new problem. Even our Lord had to face it. Obviously, not everyone was satisfied with him. They crucified him. But even those we would have expected to have been satisfied with him sometimes weren't. In fact, some really wondered about him. We're studying in Luke's gospel. We're in chapter 7, ready for verses 18 through 23. And the disciples of John reported to him about all these things that Jesus was doing. And summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? And when the men who had come to him, they they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits. And he granted sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, go and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. At this point in his ministry, things were going very well. For Jesus, Everywhere he went, he was mobbed by multitudes wanting to see him or hear him speak. Even Gentiles were taking note of him and the miracles he was performing. A Roman centurion had even asked him to heal his servant, and he had done so. He would even raised a man from the dead. You'd think that everyone would be thrilled by what was going on, at least those who weren't threatened by his success. But here we find one person with some very serious questions about him, and it's someone we would least expect, John the Baptist. John had baptized Jesus and had witnessed the Holy Spirit descend upon him. He had heard the voice from heaven declare, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He had declared him to be the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had said that he wasn't worthy to untie Jesus' sandals and that he had been sent before the Christ to bear witness to him. And now he asks, are you the expected one? Or do we look for someone else? What had happened? Why was he now questioning Jesus' identity? Quite simply, it was because Jesus didn't meet his expectations. Even on a very personal level. Isaiah had foretold that the Messiah would proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. But when John sent his disciples to Jesus, he was a prisoner in Herod's jail, and no one was setting him free. He also, no doubt, expected the Messiah to lead the Jews in rebellion against Rome. But instead of inciting rebellion, Jesus was telling everyone to love their enemies and to pray. For those who persecuted them. He had serious question about the direction Jesus' ministry was going. He was quite simply not meeting John's expectations. And so John wanted to know if he should be looking for someone else. Someone who would better conform to his image of the Messiah. Well, Jesus didn't get upset with him. He didn't defend his actions or reprimand John. He simply kept doing what he'd been doing. He healed people. He cast out demons. He gave sight to the blind. He did so openly in front of John's disciples, and then he told them to go tell John what they had seen and what they had heard may not have been all that John had expected the Messiah to do, but surely he could see that what Jesus was doing was within the realm of messianic expectations. He was doing what the Bible had foretold he would do. Isaiah had declared that the blind would receive sight and the poor would have the gospel preached to them. That was certainly being done. Now, Jesus may not have fulfilled all of John's dreams and expectations for the kingdom, but what he was doing was biblical, and that should have eased John's mind. Now, he and Jesus may not have been in total agreement about everything, but they were both committed to the authority of God's word. And if Jesus was doing what the Bible said he should be doing, there was no reason for John to stumble over him. Or to look for someone else. Indeed, when there are disagreements in the kingdom, we must be very careful not to let those disagreements rob us of God's blessing. We can't let them divide us from each other or cause us to write off a brother. We have to be patient with each other and try to be understanding obvious that Jesus understood what John was going through. And he realized how easy it is to become critical of others or to blame them for our problems when things aren't going well. He also understood how easy it is to become offended when someone questions what we're doing. But Jesus was not about to let John's doubts about him Come between them. And he didn't want anyone else to write off John because of them either. Let's continue. Verses 24 through 28. And when the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the multitudes about John. What did you go into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus didn't want the multitude to get the wrong idea about John. So he reminded them of John's character and the nature of his ministry. They hadn't gone into the wilderness to see a reed shaken by the wind, an unstable, changeable man who would go whatever direction the wind was blowing. And John wasn't waffling on Jesus by coming with questions. He just didn't understand what Jesus was doing. He didn't understand why things weren't going as he had expected. But even when he didn't understand why Jesus was doing what he was doing and not doing what he thought he should be doing, he didn't badmouth him. He didn't tell his disciples that Jesus was wrong and that he was a failure as Messiah. He didn't try to turn people against him. He simply sent his disciples to Jesus to ask some questions. And he sent them to the one who could answer the questions. He no doubt would have come himself if he hadn't been in prison. And Jesus understood John's situation. He also realized that John's suffering had clouded his understanding. And he didn't want... Anyone to think it was a sign of weakness on John's part. Those who had gone to see him hadn't gone to see a weak man pampered in the lap of luxury. They hadn't gone to a palace. They had gone into the wilderness to see a real man of God. To see a prophet. And That's what John was. He was a great prophet of God. In fact, Jesus said, among those born of women, and that pretty much includes everyone, there was no one greater than John. He was the messenger sent to prepare the way for the Messiah. Certainly no one other than the Messiah himself could be any greater than that. Except, of course, for those who would come after the Messiah and who would therefore have a much clearer and complete understanding of his mission You see John's lack of understanding was no reflection on his faith or his character it was simply the result of his living before the cross. he was laboring under some commonly held misconceptions concerning the nature of of the Messianic Kingdom, he did not understand that the Messianic Kingdom would be spiritual in nature, not political. And even though he said it, he apparently didn't understand that the Messiah would have to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world in order to save it. So Jesus wasn't offended by John's coming With questions. And he didn't want anyone else to be offended by it either. In fact, he wanted everyone to know that John was the greatest man to ever live. Having said that, however, Jesus did go on to indicate that those living after the cross would be greater still. They would be greater in the sense that they would have a greater understanding of who he is. And why he did what he did. Obviously we can learn from both John and Jesus here. When John didn't understand what a brother was doing or why he was doing it, he didn't just write him off. He went to him and very candidly expressed his concerns. And John didn't beat around the bush. He didn't say one thing to his friends and then hide the depth of his concern when confronting Jesus. He came right out with it. Are you the expected one or should we look for someone else? That's a very pointed question. But Jesus wasn't offended by it. Nor did he become defensive. He just kept doing what he knew God wanted him to do. And he made sure that no one thought less of John for confronting him and expressing his concerns. Would that we would so handle our differences of opinion. May we not be like those who wonder about someone, express a desire to understand, but are then really never satisfied. By what is said or done. Verses 29 through 35. And then all the people and the tax gatherers heard this. They acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. To what then shall I compare the men of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another, and they say, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Now, it's not clear whether verses 29 and 30 are Luke's words or Jesus. There's no object in verse 29, and that has led some translators to insert this or Jesus' words into the sentence. If it's inserted, it sounds as if Luke is making a comment here. If it's left out, It appears that Jesus is continuing to speak. I tend to think that Jesus is still speaking here. He's commenting about those who had accepted John's message and those who hadn't. Those who acknowledged that John called for an appropriate response to the justice of God had been baptized. They recognized they were sinners and therefore in need of forgiveness. The Pharisees and the lawyers, however, rejected God's call for repentance through John and therefore refused to be baptized. They didn't like John or his message. They were like many in Jesus' day and in ours. They were like children who are never satisfied and who refuse to get along. If someone plays a happy song, they don't feel like dancing. If someone plays a sad song, they don't feel like crying. They're never satisfied with anything or anyone. So they're always looking for someone else. You know, those those who wouldn't accept John because he was too conservative rejected Jesus for being too liberal. John lived in the wilderness and ate locusts and wild honey. And since he didn't eat bread or wine, they said he wasn't natural that he had a demon. Jesus, on the other hand, ate and drank like the average man of his day. He even ate with tax gatherers and sinners, and so they said he was a glutton and a drunkard. Some Are never satisfied. No matter what someone does or does not do. But that shouldn't surprise us. Some people aren't even satisfied with the Son of God. We're not all going to agree on everything. And quite frankly, we will never find anyone with whom we do agree on everything. So there's no need to keep looking for someone else. We just need to get along. And we need to try to understand each other. Let's show ourselves to be children of wisdom. Let's learn from both John and Jesus and the way they handled a very serious difference of opinion. And above all else, let's never allow our unfulfilled expectations drive us away from Christ. We may never understand all he does or does not do. But unlike John, we really do know who he is. let stand.
1: I know not why God's wondrous grace to me hath made known. Nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able. to Him against that day, I know not how His saving faith to me He did impart, nor how believing in His Word wrought peace. That he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day I know not how the spirit moves convincing men of sin revealing. Us through the word creating faith in him, but I know I have believed and am persuaded that He is able.